electoral college system, uh, President Trump's chances of getting elected are still very, very strong. I mean, I agree with you that the, the economic conditions are going to make his reelection increasingly difficult. Uh, that's one reason why we see President Trump questioning the, the business closures and the lockdowns and, and, and in recent days and weeks, you know, being very critical. Uh, and calling for the economy to reopen because he knows that this is going to be the key issue in the re-election. So as time goes by, if the economic situation worsens, then his likelihood of being re-elected will Mm. also worsen. If the economy is able to reopen and it starts to recover and people get rehired, uh, it's going to be just as close. Keeping in mind that only 100,000 votes across three swing states uh, makes the difference uh, if 2020 is the same as 2016. Ross, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Taipei-based political risk consultant Ross Feingold. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian markets are slipping further this morning on the back of those big falls on Wall Street. The ASX 200 in Australia down 1% now. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off 0.8%. And the Cosby in South Korea also down more than 1%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 140 points at the open. And Brent crude oil rallying a little bit this morning at $29.34 a barrel. And gold is also up at $1,718 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chat with Hugh Chiverton and Karen, Karen Coe after the news. Weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy with a few showers, sunny intervals during the day, maximum temperature about 30 degrees. It's going to be hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days and then there will be heavy showers and squally thunderstorms early next week. The temperature right now, 26 degrees, 82% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. A microbiologist has called on the public not to panic but remain vigilant after the first local infections of coronavirus have emerged in more than three weeks. Dr Siddharth Sridhar from the University of Hong Kong says it's still okay to relax social distancing measures but he called the current situation volatile. So if you see more clusters coming up across Hong Kong then you might need a reintroduction of at least some of the more stringent social distancing measures that are just relaxed. So it's a very volatile situation and we just have to deal with it day by day in terms of the new information that we get. The way to go is public vigilance, continuing to wear masks, hand hygiene, avoiding crowded areas as much as possible and on the part of the garment is extensive testing, epidemiological investigation, contact tracing, etc. U.S. security agencies have warned that China is trying to steal American research on coronavirus vaccines and treatments. The FBI and the U.S. Cyber Security Agency say they're investigating digital break-ins by Chinese-backed hackers. Here's the BBC's Barbara Pletusher. The statement said the FBI was investigating digital break-ins by cyber actors linked to China who were trying to steal data on vaccines, treatments and testing. It warned scientists and public health officials to be on the lookout, but it didn't identify the institutions that had been targeted. The U.S. authorities have long accused the Chinese government of cyber espionage, which Beijing denies. But this warning coincides with a much broader surge in cyber theft and attacks by nations seeking advantage in the pandemic. Last week, the U.S. and Britain issued a joint statement about cyber threats to medical research, but didn't name a specific country. Qatar Airways is to cut about 20% of its global workforce because of the impact of the virus. Here's the BBC's Jonathan Josephs. 
This was the first time the huge Middle Eastern airline, led by Akbar al-Bakr, has put a figure on the cuts. Qatar Airways has more than 46,000 staff worldwide, so around 9,000 more people are set to lose their livelihoods because of coronavirus. The carrier has brought strategic stakes in several airlines around the world to try and lure passengers onto its network by changing at its Doha hub. That may aid its recovery if some parts of the world restart flights before others. But Mr Al-Bakr warned that the 14-day quarantine period some countries are planning for air travellers could destroy the airline industry. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chewett and your co-host today is Karen Ko. Karen, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Hugh. Well, Hong Kong is seeing locally acquired infections of the coronavirus once again after more than three weeks of only imported cases. A 66-year-old housewife who lives in Chunwan and her five-year-old granddaughter have caught the disease, despite neither of them having travelled abroad recently. Seven of the eight people who officials have deemed to be close contacts of the woman are showing at least some symptoms and have been taken to hospital with testing negative, I think, uh, so far. But the government says there is no need for a return to the kind of stringent social distancing measures which were only recently relaxed, like uh, bar closures, gyms and various entertainment venues. So should the measures be adjusted now? What about the back-to-school plans? Would some kind of mass testing be useful? Let us know your thoughts and your questions. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266 or 233-88266. Later, we're going to be talking about the report on the uh, controversy over the MTR shot into central Lincoln, Hong Kong station uh, in particular. Uh, as ever, uh, backchat at rthk.hk is the email address if you want to comment. Okay, this is uh, some uh, emails uh, that have uh, come in uh, relating to uh, other issues. And uh, here's a couple related to a uh, discussion yesterday when we did talk uh, fairly briefly to uh, Tommy Chung, the uh, executive councillor, about the issue of uh, employment and uh, the uh, restaurant uh, trade that he represents uh, in Ledgeco. Uh, Drake says, on Friday I mentioned the financial tricks that the Fu Lum group is manipulating and how employees are suffering from it. Hugh threw the situation at Tommy Chung and he dismissed it right away, blaming it on the reputation of the Confederation of Trade Unions. As a matter of fact, my email was the first-hand account of the employee who had already gone jobless for three months made on another radio show. It was not some fake news made up by his dreaded union. Tommy's reaction made himself a fool and highlighted the antagonistic attitude of Carrie Lam's advisory ex-co. They are more keen to deal with the people who raise problems than to tackle the problems raised. Bless the Fulham employees who has Tommy representing their sector. We'll always remember him as the one who advocated the $20 minimum wage. And uh, Martin B says, in response to a listener's question, read the very legitimate complaint of the workers at Fulham Palace uh, on finding that uh, while they are suspended on no-pay leave, the change is employing temporary workers at a lower rate in their place. Tommy Chung claimed to have no knowledge of the issue. However, in the next breath, 
he slammed the aggrieved workers for protesting outside the restaurant and trying to disrupt business. This indicates that he has all the facts and is siding with the clearly dodgy practices of the operator. The government assistance is based on headcount, so the restaurant can claim benefits on the suspended workers while in reality not paying them, but others put in at a lower hourly rate. Will the government investigate this matter as the assistance has been pledged to help the workers, not the operators? As Fulam operates 55 restaurants, it's no doubt replicating its nefarious arrangement in other outlets. Unfortunately, you did not grill Chung, who has always supported the interests of the bosses over those of the staff, but let him get away with his duplicity. That comes uh, from uh, Martin. Uh, Andrew F. says, uh, I think this is to do with tourism, perhaps a rebranding of the whole of Hong Kong tourism. Yeah, his, his approach is in order to exploit the bubble John Kowloon was talking about. I would suggest, come to Hong Kong, feel the hate, or how about shop till you're dropped? Yes, come and enjoy a stroll and an ice cream with the kids while our local black-clad Taliban serenade you with choruses of Go Back Home. Richard, a third says, I would like to address the issue of police in Hong Kong, using this excuse to break up groups of people who are supposedly violating guidelines issued by Carrie Lam's government. The legal ruling in UK is that this is not something the police should be policing. Social distancing is not a legal excuse for breaking up groups under the rule of law. It looks like uh, in Hong Kong it's ruled by the police. And finally, Andrew Andrew says, uh, you need to get your guy, Chris, I think that's Chris Young from the Journalist Association, back on air to defend the actions of his members last night on Nathan Road. That's uh, from uh, Andrew. That was sent yesterday. Thank you very much indeed for that. Joining us for our discussion now we have Professor Ben Cowling, a Professor and Division Head in the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Dr Grace Loy, who's a Council Member at the uh, Hong Kong Society for uh, Infectious Diseases, Head of the Division of Infectious Diseases in the Department of Medicine and Therapeutics at the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University, and Dr Arasin Amar, who's President of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association. Professor Cowling, maybe we'll start with you. Um, uh, I remember you uh, scaring us uh, <laughs> about a month ago or something by talking of a second wave, mm. uh, the likelihood of a second wave in Hong Kong. Is this kind of the first sign of that, what you were talking about, really? I think, let, let's see. So we know that the virus will not stay out of Hong Kong. There are going to be sporadic infections detected from time to time in the coming months. We may see the start of a second wave with more transmission, like we had in March, Maybe there'll be a little bit longer period of calm before that happens. I'm not at all surprised by the detection of some local cases, but I hope that won't be allowed to grow into larger and larger numbers because that's what happened in March, and then we needed more and more strict measures towards the end of March to get on top of the situation. Simple, stupid question. Where does it come from? Where do they, how did she get it? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, I'm sure the Department of Health are investigating and trying to track back to what might have happened. Maybe there were infections that were missed. We know that many, many infections are mild. Been, presumably. Right, most infections are mild. And so what that means is if people don't have symptoms severe enough to seek testing, they probably won't be picked up unless the Department of Health go looking because they're tracing the contacts of other known cases. So it's not at all surprising that there's some mild cases around. Maybe someone came in from overseas, passed it on without us realising it, and, and, and it got in that way. Maybe it's a persistence of the virus going back all the way to March when we had a lot of cases locally. So, so Professor Carling, what's a good way to manage this kind of situation? I mean, where do you stand on testing, for example, everybody in Hong Kong? I, I don't think we have the capacity to test everyone. Right now we're doing about 3,000 tests a day. My understanding with this latest group of cases is that they weren't denied testing by any means. It wasn't that we didn't have enough tests to find them. It's just maybe they weren't sick enough to go and seek 
testing. They didn't go see the doctor. They didn't get his, that's my current understanding of the situation. So having more testing available wouldn't solve that issue. But certainly if we have more capacity, then we can look more at the travelers, including the border with China, where we're not doing that much testing. And in future, if there were to be more cases, we'd be ready to do more testing if and when that, that was needed. So having more testing capacity is important. But I think right now, the best way to keep transmission at a low number is tracing the contacts of these cases and trying to stop chains of transmission from building up and also maintaining some of the social distancing measures that are still in place right now. We still have some social distancing measures. I think those are going to be important going forward and we need to fine-tune them just to make sure that we're not allowing transmission to go on, but we're not having too much disruption of society and the economy. What about mass testing? Because some places like Wuhan mm. are talking about testing 11 million people. What if we tested everyone in Hong Kong or yeah, say everyone I, in I, I don't think Wuhan are actually going to be able to test 11 million people. I know there were reports about that yesterday. My understanding is that's not quite the full story. They've done about a million tests to date in Wuhan. So that's over three months. They can maybe do uh, you know, another million tests in the coming month but I don't think they can do 10 million tests in 10 days. My understanding is they're really focusing on doing a lot of testing where there might be cases and in people with symptoms. Maybe they'd slowed down some of their testing that they were doing and now they've realised they need to pick it up again. And so what we'd expect is more cases to be found in Wuhan. But you're saying it's not even worth, like you could test everyone in Chun Wan. Yeah, you I, know, I, I, I don't think that would be worth like it. I mean, there's, there's no reason to think that Chun Wan's a particularly high-risk location. There, there could well be very small numbers of infections elsewhere in Hong Kong and I don't think we'd be able to find them very easily. I mean, I, I don't think it's worth investing money to test tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the coming But then month. you pick up the asymptomatic cases. So. Yeah, that's right. But that's really an um, enormous investment to pick up a very small number of potential infections. I mean, handfuls of infections. And what, what do you do? We, Hugh and I were talking about this before, not knowing the answer. Say you test people and you find that they test positive, but they're asymptomatic. What do you mm. do with those people? Right now, they're being taken to hospital and isolated until they test negative, which might be a week or two weeks or, or even a little bit longer. Um, and that's because there's the potential that they might be able to spread infection on even without any symptoms. We have seen evidence that that has happened in the past, although it's maybe less likely than someone with a lot of symptoms. So that's the current strategy. And there has been quite a lot of asymptomatic cases picked up in the past probably month or so, going back to, to late March. And uh, I mean, it's, it's not clear how contagious they are compared to people with symptoms. But there is definitely documented evidence that some of these asymptomatic cases have been able to pass on infection. Mm. Dr. Loy, Grace Loy, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank Gary. you indeed for joining you. us. Uh, you, know, you know, a lot of people th thought that we got rid of the, the virus in, in Hong Kong. We basically contained it and now we have this, uh, uh, this cluster of, uh, uh, of cases. Does this mean we have to rethink also, I mean, rethink our approach and rethink that relaxation that we had in, in uh, train? say that uh, I guess everyone in Hong Kong are quite um, disappointed with the recent local cases um, after being, you know, um, without any local cases for a while. And um, however, I think um, we really need to balance um, the control of the infection um, with uh, our, you know, our normal life in Hong Kong. Um, the current measures of uh, relaxing some of the um, social distancing measures, I guess, is not a true return to normal life in a way that um, people are going back to work in the office and students may be going back to school soon. But this is not um, really back to our usual pre-COVID status because we are still practicing 
certain social distancing and also infection prevention measures. I guess people will be wearing masks. Uh, we are washing our hands frequently when we go back to work, go back to school. And um, so I think um, we really have to balance um, uh, uh, continuing these measures and also um, getting back some normality into our usual life. Do Dr. Louis, do you think that we will ever go back to what we all knew as normal, or is this really a long-term thing that we've, we've got to be uh, on alert for? Well, I think, um, unfortunately, we are so linked to everywhere in the world, and um, so it's not really just us. So. For example, in Hong Kong, we, we, we even with the, the small number of local cases, we should be able to manage. Um, um, but we can't, you know, prevent forever uh, imported cases. So um, I think that would really take a very long time um, for everywhere in the world to have this infection being controlled before we can, you know, really relax all these different infection prevention measures. And what kind of long-term strategy do you think we should we should take? I mean, presuming that the virus is not going to go away, of course, in other parts of the world they're coming into their winter, when which is normally a time when people tend to get more sick. Um, you know, long-term, how, how are we going to manage this? Because we can't have this total shutdown of, of the economy and of people yeah, not working yeah. forever. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's why we have to um, resume our usual activities with a certain degree of social distancing and infection prevention measures. So I think that's sort of the way to go at least in the coming few months, if not a year or longer. So, so it would be the things that we have all been practicing for so long, you know, like these universal masking, hand hygiene, and um, limiting, you know, large gatherings. Um, I think these are things that we should really be um, continuing. And of course, um, testing, we have been talking about uh, testing, um, um, and this is actually very essential. Um, you, you have been asking about whether, whether mass testing for the whole population um, practically is not feasible, and also uh, we suspect the, the overall incidence in Hong Kong actually would be very, very low. So um, in some overseas countries, European countries, they have to do some sort of uh, either mathematical modeling or, or testing for a large population and usually it's just um, less than one or a few percent and I would guess that the numbers would be much much lower in Hong Kong so I don't think we actually need to test the whole population um, however uh, we need to be more focused um, for example people with um, mild symptoms um, they are really encouraged to get a um, COVID test so um, uh, in Hong Kong is actually very accessible um, we can go to a, either a private practitioner or uh, one of the um, government general outpatient clinics and ask for a saliva test for COVID, and this can be easily done. So I think if we do test um, patients who have mild symptoms, we actually can um, act fast to do contact tracing and control further spread of infection in the community. Can anyone get uh, a, a test if they've got symptoms? Can you just go yeah, to a public? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. 
can either go to the uh, government general outpatient clinics or um, actually a lot of private hospitals and clinics are doing the PCR test right now. And also private practitioners do have access to send these specimens to a to a government laboratory to get the test done as well. And, and what would be the symptoms that would be the a warning sign for that? Because well, honestly, I read about every day, I read about a new yeah, symptom. Yeah, well, basically... <laughs> Marks on um, the feet and... Very much like flu and cold, so fever, cough, sore throat. Um, uh, these are some common symptoms. And, uh, well, interestingly, a loss of smell and taste is yeah. something that has been... Stomach problems. Um, yeah. It's actually quite common among uh, the patients that we see in the hospital. So um, I guess uh, that would be also be a warning symptom as well. Um, Dr. Louis, can we also get antibody tests? Because I, I know quite a lot of people who said, I was sick back in February and... Mm before you know this became so well known maybe late january february or my child was sick and now they're wondering oh maybe they actually had it but they recovered quickly yeah well um uh, of course we, we can get one um the problem is um the uh, uh there are a lot of commercial kits um, um, saying that they can, you know, test for that different kinds of antibodies to the um, uh, COVID virus. Um, unfortunately, not all these um, tests uh, commercially available are really um, very well validated. So uh, we really need to be very, very careful about the, these um, commercial kits for antibody testing. And also, um, we really don't quite know how to interpret um, these results. Um, uh, I think um, at the meantime, we are not quite sure whether um, the antibodies have a protective effect um, uh, for a long time. That can, you know, be long-lasting. So um, uh, the scenario you mentioned, if you are sick, you know, in February, and even if you have a positive antibody test, um, um, does it mean that you are protected from the infection, you won't get infected in the future? Um, I think that um, what we are most concerned is that this might give people a false assurance um, and that they can relax on the infection prevention measures, which we, of course, won't recommend. Right. Uh, also with us, as I say, is Dr. Arasina Ma, President of the Hong Kong Public Doctors Association. Dr. Ma, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, what, what's your take on this, uh, this news, this development? How does that affect you and your members of your association? Um, first of all, we've seen another um, wave of local cases. Uh, hope that it will be not a cluster outbreak. Uh, it just uh, seems uh, st still just going on in the family. Although it is worrisome because we can't identify the uh, probable source of infection, um, uh, actually, but it uh, it does uh, it did uh, disrupt uh, the plan how we uh, resume the normal medical service because uh, because because with the uh, decreasing number of confirmed cases over week, uh, some for some hospital they are planning to um, uh, uh, um, uh, get, uh, get the members of the dirty team back to the normal service. But however, we now we worry there is another wave coming, so maybe we will slow down that process. Without the manpower and the bad uh, return to the normal medical service, uh, it's difficult for us to resume the service for our normal public. Um, another thing that um, are worrying us is about the um, uh, uh, large-scale testing for the asymptomatic patients. Uh, although I personally, I also support that uh, we should test as much as possible, just like as what Professor Yun said, maybe we should test 
around 7,000 per day. Because without knowing the real situation in our society, we cannot plan anything blindly. However, how to handle those uh, positive asymptomatic cases? Uh, are we going to uh, keep them all in hospital just like what we have done in the past two months? Uh, we are really worried about that because in the last two months we have kept so many asymptomatic page confirmed patients or very mild disease confrontation uh, uh, in the isolation ward. Actually, it has used up uh, a lot of medical beds and also uh, many manpowers and resources. So I hope that uh, the hospital authority or the Department of Health uh, do have a very uh, a, a reasonable plan how to keep those uh, asymptomatic confirmed cases. If they're all going to keep inside the hospital and use the resources of hospital authority to handle it, it will be uh, causing another disaster. So I hope that the uh, 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 outside hospital facilities are available or they have uh, other uh, a plan or policy that uh, let those asymptomatic confirmed cases stay home safely uh, rather than keep them in the hospital. Dr. Dr. Ma, would it be reasonable to ask them to just stay home and quarantine themselves uh, until, until they test negative for a number of days? Um, actually, uh, I, we know that uh, for those confirmed asymptomatic cases, though they uh, do, uh, they are do contagious uh, uh, because there are certain uh, some certain amounts of virus inside the body. But uh, most of them, actually, the viral level is quite low. So if their home environment is suitable and also the, um, the patients uh, agree to take certain uh, precautions like wearing masks, flushing uh, uh, the toilet and also uh, 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 being isolated himself in a single room or just uh, try to avoid those very close contact with his family members but, but and could, also all, his, could, could, if could, all of his family members are wealthy, healthy. So it may be possible, but I know that maybe for some of them, uh, quarantine facilities may be more uh, uh, suitable. Y- yes, I was going to say, what about what about the quarantine facilities that we've been using for people you know who who are suspect, who've been travelling mm-hmm. or something like that? Can't can't we use those? The you know the sort yes. of holiday camps and yes. things like that. That would that wouldn't put the re- well, wouldn't strain the hospital resources, but might be a little yes. bit more secure it's, it's than another home possibility. Is. Mm. Yes, especially for those actually, although they're confirmed, but actually they're totally asymptomatic with a very low viral level. Also, they are healthy, young in as uh, individual. Uh, keeping and their home environment is not uh, 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 optimal. Keeping them in those quarantine facilities is another possible solution. Mm. All right, some of the thoughts from uh, listeners. Mr. Pink says, until now, the consensus view among infectious disease experts is that COVID-19 is typically spread through large respiratory droplets that one might associate with coughing, shouting, singing, etc. However, according to an article in today's Washington Post, an experiment shows that ordinary speech can emit small respiratory droplets which could contain enough virus particles to represent an infectious dose that can linger in the air for more than eight minutes. Admittedly, this is just one study and may not be conclusive, but it's another reminder the Hong Kong government should remain very wary of acting too hastily in relaxing current restrictions on social distancing, quarantine quarantine rules, etc. As we've already seen this week, in the case of the cluster of over 100 cases linked to one club in Seoul, it's still too early to consider reopening nightclubs, uh, music venues and karaoke lounges. That comes uh, from uh, Mr Pink. Uh, Matthew says, with regard to the Wuhan-originated coronavirus in Hong Kong, I think we need to remain vigilant, but wait and see if there are more locally transmitted cases before 
changing course. However, I do think the CCP is right that there is also a political virus in Hong Kong, and this is even worse than the Wuhan virus. Yesterday, we had anti-democracy, anti-gay DAB legislator uh, Holden Chow doing the media circuit using a survey he did himself to generate his own fake news, complaining about fake news turning young people into criminals. That comes um, from Matthew. Uh, Dr. Loy and, uh, and Dr. Ma, we've just got a couple of minutes left, but uh, what, what about the schools? Because, uh, you know, we're, we're going ahead with plans to, to reopen the schools. You think we should continue with that? Uh, first of all, Dr. Loy, well, uh, would you open the schools again? Starting in the end of May, um, the uh, older secondary school students will be going back to school. I think um, the risk would be uh, much lower for these um, older kids. Um, and, and I believe schools are, you know, adhering to all these measures like spacing out the kids and they will be wearing masks and, and they're going um, half-day school without having lunch. Um, I think all these measures um, should um, keep the risk well managed. Um, and of course, uh, we still have, you know, more than a month to go um, before the primary school students will be going back to school. So I think uh, we have to closely monitor the situation um, between now and June. Dr. Ma, would you be happy if the schools went back? Um, actually, I think, as Dr. Lui said, we still have a month to go. If the condition being uh, similar to the current status, I think the, prime, uh, the uh, secondary school resume is possible. But I'm a bit worried about the primary, especially the lower primary school resume, because we know that uh, masking and social distancing is almost impossible uh, among young kids. And also, uh, although we previously think that uh, the disease actually is quite harmless among children or adolescents, but we saw uh, cases of uh, autoimmune Kawasaki-like uh, uh, complication uh, uh, develop uh, on those kids with the ankle V. So if it's going to another outbreak among the young kids and uh, also with this kind of complications, I'm not sure that whether our pe uh, a pediatrician or pediatric department, they got the capacity to handle it. Uh, it seems that uh, we have some measures to enhance the capacity of the medical department, but it may not be that uh, 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 sufficient among the pediatric department. Okay, well, uh, Dr. Arasina Ma, President of the Public Doctors' Association, and Dr. Grace Loy uh, from the uh, Chinese University Faculty of Medicine, Head of the Division of Infectious Disease. Thank you uh, very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, ben Cowling has stayed with us. Uh, we're going to continue the discussion uh, about uh, COVID-19 and the uh, cases uh, in Hong Kong and uh, the uh, proper uh, measures after the news at nine. Also going to be talking about that report on the Chart Intercentral Rail Link. As ever, give us a call, 233-88266. The weather... Only cloudy with a few showers, sunny intervals forecast during the day. Temperatures up to about 30 degrees. And there'll be heavy showers and squally thunderstorms early next week. 26 degrees now, humidity is at 83%. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Bank Chat on a Thursday morning with Karen Ko and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, developments with uh, COVID-19 in Hong Kong. Later, we're going to be talking about the report on the Shatin to Central Rail Link and the Hung Hom station uh, in particular with uh, Hung Wing Tat. We want to hear your thoughts. Please share them by giving us a call on 233-88266. That's the most direct me method. Um, or you can leave the message on our Facebook page and everyone can read it there. Bank Chat on RTHK Radio 3 or email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, although we may have 
have to edit for length. Uh, some comment on our, on our Facebook page. Uh, there's a couple of uh, comments about the uh, IPCC uh, report planned on the Police Complaints Council. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll skip those for the moment. You can, you can check them out for yourself and we, we will get to that topic in, in due course, I think. Uh, Tom says, uh, many people test negative for COVID-19, later test positive or sometimes even flip back and forth multiple times. Hong Kong urgently needs to implement testing at the time at the end of the 14-day self-quarantine period. If one infected person who tests negative at the airport 14 days later has a bit of a cough but goes to the newly opened bars in Hong Kong anyway, COVID-19 is back on the menu on Wyndham Street. Uh, also, I'm a, normally a government supporter, but the arguments yesterday for Ocean Park were stretched pretty thin. How can we bring back the good old days of 2018 and maintain the status quo when the park is empty and the tourists from the mainland are never coming back. And Barbara says, COVID-19 is very smart to remind humankind should always stay alert. We have to keep fighting virus lifestyle till June of 2021. Drake says, I'm suspicious that if we start to do a lot of tests, high-density areas like Sham Shui Po and To Kwa Wan, where thousands of grassroots workers, elderly and new migrants live in subdivided flats or poor hygiene conditions, are already infected. That's uh, from uh, Drake. Thanks for that. Um, Anthony has a number of messages. Anthony says, interesting, after a few days of people flouting the social distancing measures, including the riots and protests in the past few days, local infections emerge. Uh, He also says there are still American Legionnaires disease are in Hong Kong. Where do they come from? Uh, from various authoritative research, COVID-19 virus is like American legionnaires and seasonal flu that exist in human beings. Hong Kong's COVID-19 is even less deadline than American legionnaires disease and winter flus. Why Hong Kong would rather the mask-wearing practice of Wuhan and mainland China and Hong Kong's infection rates are even higher than Shenzhen. That is a thought from a listener. Um, John Kowloon says if Hong Kong is going to form travel bubbles with countries which government believes meet various low risk criteria it should require non-Hong Kong residents travelling from those locations to be tested before they are allowed to embark on their Hong Kong journeys whether by air, rail or border crossings this would remove the burden of testing them on arrival in Hong Kong which would allow Hong Kong government to focus their testing at World Expo on returning Hong Kong residents Uh, Anthony also says regarding the emergence of local infections Ask China, which is the answer from a democratically elected leader. That's about uh, President uh, Trump, I think. Uh, Backchatter.rthk.hk is our, is our email address as ever. We have with us uh, Professor Ben Cowling, Division Head in the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And we've got caller Mike, I think, on the line. Mike, good morning again. Well, good morning. I don't type well, so, I'll, <clears throat> so I called in. Okay. I thought this statistic, um, people that survive... Um, COVID uh, by country, and it was like 99.473, 99.75, These are the percentages of people that survive. Um, you know, these statistics are never talked about. Okay. Turn it around. 99% of the people don't have a problem. And your, to answer your question earlier, how can I tell? What should I do? Testing, testing. Well, put yourself in the category. If you've got underlying circumstances, heart disease, diabetes, you, you put yourself into a category, and that's telling you, yeah, you're more at risk to have a problem with COVID 
and it, it you know alleviates a lot of your worry. Okay, Professor Cowling, do you want to respond? No, I mean that, that's a fair point. We, we've been saying for months actually that we we think the mortality rate among infected people is about 0.5 percent. If you take one minus that, it's 99.5 percent are fine. And we know the vast majority of sorry the vast majority of infected people will be fine. There are a minority who have some longer term health impact of coronavirus infection, and there's a very very small fraction which the infection's really nasty in. But the problem for, for Hong Kong and for other places in the world is if you have a lot of people infected, then even 0.5% mortality rate translates to a lot of deaths. And we don't want that to happen in Hong Kong. We've seen what happened in Lombardy in northern Italy. We've seen what happened in New York. We don't want to put ourselves in that situation in Hong Kong. But at the same time, we have to balance the need for public health measures to stop a large epidemic versus the disruption that they cause to society and the economy. And that's what the balance did, that we've got to find. What did happen in Italy? We had a situation where 90, you, you, had, a, you had a health situation where 90%, I mean, you were already at 90% capacity. And then you had, you had a, a, a number of people that had the COVID. And uh, there were a number of old people, a number of, uh, you know, that are, that are already on the verge. Um, you know, of death, and they had add COVID onto the, all their other problems. And so we're jumping and putting putting all those deaths attributed to COVID when that not that is not actually the case. It was just a contributing factor. And then we put it in, you know, we put it in the statistic that all these people died from COVID. No, that's not that's not entirely true. They were they were in their 70s and 80s, and they had other health issues, and they added COVID on top of it. And so, yes, in some areas, we had a lot of numbers. New York, is the, the, it's still out. We don't know what's happened in New York. But, but in, it, in both locations, but we, not have, usually. we have it's seen... Not, sorry, in, in both locations, we've seen most of the really serious cases, the fatal cases are in elderly with underlying conditions. But we have also seen deaths in healthcare workers, in people who are young and healthy. That's true in Northern Italy, that's true in New York, it's true elsewhere in the world. In London, quite a number of bus drivers got infected and, and, and died from COVID. I think we understand that the greatest impact will be on the elderly, but there is still a very substantial health impact even on the general population. And that's the kind of thing that we would prefer to avoid and certainly no government is going to have their policy of just allowing a massive epidemic with lots and lots of people being infected. But see, here's, the, here's, here's another thing that you really don't stress. You kind of, you kind of gloss over it. What governments are concerned about is one major thing. Are we going to overload the hospitals? Because we know that COVID is going to be with us for a long time. But we want to <clears throat> flatten the curve. But that doesn't mean we want to prevent everybody from getting COVID. We just don't want everybody to have it at the same time. Yeah. So if, if we want to flatten the curve in Hong Kong, let's say we, we would, in some hypothetical scenario, allow people in Hong Kong to get infected but have a flattened curve so that we never overloaded the healthcare system, that would take five to ten years. So we'd be flattening the curve for that long just to avoid overloading the healthcare system in terms of the intensive care capacity because there's be so many serious infections. So, so why do you put asymptomatic people in the hospital? 
No, that's a really good question. I think that, w- that was discussed earlier as well. I think the hospital authority needs to look at providing some other location for these milder cases so they don't occupy those negative pressure isolation rooms which could be used for other purposes maybe for more serious cases or for people with other diseases i know in other countries they've set up special facilities like in london the nightingale hospital in new york they use the javits center in other cities in the u.s they use university dormitories for for handling the mild cases who don't really need to be in hospital but do need to be out of the home so they're not spreading to their family members and so they can we can keep an eye on them so i ask an er doctor in new york what's your what's your treatment and he said we're changing treatment all the time we're learning what works and we're we're learning what doesn't work and it appears now i'm you know don't take this to the bank because this is not scientific but it appears that there is a problem with with ventilating a patient with covid they haven't quite figured that one out yet but it might not be, and, and again, I'm saying this isn't scientific and don't quote me, but it might not be the, the ideal treatment. So this is just some of the talk that's going on in the emergency rooms in New York. So, you know, there's no scientific, but, you know, we still don't know how to treat this. Mike, can I, can I ask you a question? Because you're, sure. you know, you're a frequent listener and... You know, you often call up and everything like this, and I know you're you're uh, you're more or less. I have a, some opinions. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're more or less a supporter of, of, of Donald Trump. I've got to say, I mean, what what's, what's gone wrong in what do you think has gone wrong in the in the U.S. Because you know, as I was saying the other the other day, the media, at, the media. No, hang on. Well, yes. what, no, 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 no. If you look not, at that's, that's here's the thing: the individual states. They're putting everything on the federal government, and the federal government's not set up to do... No, I didn't what... ask... Uh, the, the answer to my question is not the media. You, okay. The media is causing these deaths. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. What, okay. what I'm the, saying the point, is... my point. My point would be that if you look at the, the pattern of infection, that ev- everywhere around the world you, you get this increase, and, and then you get a fall, and you see this in, in many European countries, and you get what... Dr. Ding was talking about the dunce cap kind of uh, shape. But in some countries, the UK and the US, uh, uh, among others, uh, the, the infections and the deaths seem to have gone up and stayed up and just plateaued at, at, a, at a high level. Why is that? What's, what's been happening in the US? Is it, is it something to do with the fact that Donald Trump and the federal government have been trying to downplay this? This has supposedly been debunked uh, on, on many occasions, but... Just think about it. If you have, if you've had three or four different symptoms of a patient and what the cause of death is, and uh, uh, they have been encouraged to, if there's, if there is any any COVID um, involvement, to write down the cause of death being COVID. So you think, why would hospitals want to do that? But encouraged by who? Encouraged by who? Well, this I, I was getting to. And so if the administration of the hospital gets an automatic payoff to having a COVID patient, they get $13,000, no questions asked. They get nearly $40,000 if that patient has been intubated. So, Mike, hang on, hang on. To summarize, you're saying they're not really dying of COVID. They're doing it because they can get money. Well, it's complicated. This is what I'm saying. It is complicated. Come on, Mike. And, Come on. Well, no, no, this is... I'm telling you... This is a fact. So I ask the doctors themselves, and they say, yes, we are encouraged if there is 
any COVID involvement, we are encouraged to write down COVID as the cause of death. When the patient's got a heart disease, they got diabetes, they have, they, they've got pneumonia. But they could have those conditions and still live had they not had the COVID infection as well. But Correct? See, I mean, you could some, have diabetes and live for another five years if you don't right. also get COVID. So, but here's the, here's the thing. If that patient is deceased, it's written down as COVID. Are you testing whether or not that patient actually died of COVID? We're not going to waste our test on a corpse. Okay. And, and, you know, if we're speaking comparatively, does this principle not hold in other places? Why would America be different in that respect? <sighs> That's, that's a question I can't answer. I can only answer what the complaints that, that I'm getting, you know, you know, on the, mm. you know, in, the, in, in, in real life. You know, yeah, the, the patient was just hanging on. Um, we heard recently of about a five-month-old, uh, little five-month-old girl that, that died of COVID. Well, actually, she was in the hospital because she had a hole in her heart and she was waiting for surgery. Then she contracted an infection and then she contracted COVID. Uh, okay, I mean, it's a bit more nuanced, isn't it? I mean, I think the, the more, the, the fuller reports say these are the number of deaths where COVID is mentioned on the death certificate. And as you know, actually, what when you do a death certificate, it's actually quite complicated, isn't it, to say what somebody dies of, whether well, they die the of a, of, know, a secondary infection, whether it's and, the and flu I'm or... To, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness mm. of the disease. I'm just... I'm just it sounds like it idea. might. It really sounds like you are. Well, no, that's, well, that's why I'm trying to clarify it. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not downplaying the seriousness of the disease, but it's compounded by the fact that the numbers aren't, aren't entirely correct. And it it plays into the it plays into the let's play up this thing as big as we can. But you seem to be saying that has more to do with the way American hospitals administer themselves than anything else. Oh, most of the hospitals are really going out of they're really having problems because no nobody is doing anything. Meaning that you're getting all your surgeries are being postponed, and hospitals are really in pain. They are really hurting. They're needing the bailout because they're not doing anything. And then we're just told of a number of hospitals in New York that are just overwhelmed. And that's not the whole, that's not a real clear picture. And so this is why I pointed back to the media. And the media's, you know, they want social, they want to have this. Um, they want what, socialism. Not socialism. <laughs> but I, I think no. it's more about that the American health system is broken. It really doesn't work for, for many, many people. Oh, absolutely. No question about that. Mm. Professor Cowling, do you want to comment or uh, no, stay I, out I, of it? I <laughs> think that there's some really good points there. I, we will have a better understanding of the full impact of COVID in due course, maybe in a year's time when we can look back and see how many deaths had occurred, how many might we have expected. What we've seen already is that in the US, in some areas, in the UK, in Europe, there's a lot more deaths in the past couple of months than ever seen before in the months of March and April. A lot more deaths than normal. What we don't know is what's going to happen in the coming months as the caller said, maybe some of those people were really quite vulnerable, really quite sick with other things. And so COVID was really a factor. But, but you know, maybe they, they wouldn't have made it a lot longer anyway. Yeah. So we're going to see that when we come to look at the mortality data. The excess deaths. The excess deaths over the course yeah. of 2020 as a whole, maybe. So Can I, I add 
I'm sorry. Can I add one more thing? Uh, nine months from now, I mean, the hospitals are going to be completely overloaded with new births. <laughs> and the I lawyers mean, overloaded mark with my divorces. Word, mark my word, this lockdown has caused a lot of action going on. And, and you're gonna, maybe they want the money for that, and maybe it's all a plan to. It's all a cunning. They should plot. start boosting maternity <laughs> wards. Okay, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for your for your you're call. Uh, a couple more uh, emails. Uh, uh, Anthony says President Trump says the high number in the U.S. are overstated and fake, and the low numbers in China, including Hong Kong, are also fake and understated. Uh, Anthony says, you are always so rushed. Can you extend your program to two hours? It's the only program on RTHK that the hosts don't create disinformation and fake news. That comes from Anthony, a very backhanded compliment. And uh, Pete says, my wife teaches six or seven-year-olds in an international school. They'll be back in school on May the 25th. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you to, to our guest this morning, to Professor Ben Cowling, uh, Division Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, once again. Uh, and uh, finally today... To the uh, report on the uh, construction scandal at the Hong Kong MTR station, uh, this is an email from Bowen. Bowen says, The most pregnant comment made amid the release of the Commission of Inquiry's final report on the construction scandal at Hong Kong MTR station is Abraham Sheck's comment querying the government's so-called accountability system, which was brought in by C.H. Tung 18 years ago as the principal official's accountability system. According to Francis Fukuyama, in his landmark work, Political Order and Political Decay, accountability means the government is responsive to the interests of the whole society rather than to its just its own narrow self-interest. Accountability today is understood most typically as procedural accountability, that is, periodic, free and fair multi-party elections that allow citizens to choose and discipline their rulers. There is typically a strong connection between procedural and substantive accountability because unconstrained rulers, even if responsive to the common good, usually cannot be trusted to remain that way forever. Unquote. By means of procedural accountability, therefore, the government should be made responsible downwards to the interest of the whole society. C.H. Tung's so-called accountability system instead made his principal officials responsible upwards to him alone, and he was not popularly elected. The term accountability, and indeed the equally grand and impressive term one country, two systems, in the context of our city's governance, can be compared to a potential asymptomatic coronavirus carrier who may look innocuous but could turn out to be lethal if he or she is allowed to go untested. That is from uh, Bowen. Thank you very much indeed for that. We wanted to turn, as mentioned, to the uh, question of that uh, uh, of that uh, report, the inquiry that found that uh, the MTR and uh, Leighton Asia, the contractor, should be called to account for substandard work, poor management and weak oversight, uh, uh, although they also found that the uh, extension structure at Hong Kong is safe and fit for purpose. Hung Wing Tat joins us now, a fellow of the Hong Kong Society for Transportation Studies. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. For, for joining us. Uh, okay, what, what's your reading of the report? How strong do you think the uh, criticism is of the MTR and uh, Leighton? Well, all the major parties are responsible. Of course, they point at Leighton. Uh, according to the secretary, probably Leighton will be taken out the list of future, at least railway projects. No, for for good or for a period, do you think, or that you know, for a six months I, or something? I don't know whether there's a period or. Of course, things would change if they can prove that they they have uh, remedial work and they clear 
the name probably they can be uh, included back into it. But um, my feeling of the report is that they hasn't addressed the very special situation. You know, everything happened because of the very tight time. Of course, Leighton totally would say that because of the work pressure, they have to uh, skip all the proper procedures and go directly to chase the time. So that is the, the main thing that they're talking about. And both MGR and Leighton rely on this one. And uh, the commission hasn't actually uh, addressed this sort of work pressure that would force uh, the working team, supervisory team, to skip all the proper procedures. Now, I would think that the, um, the um, happening that can take place, uh, probably there's also a culture uh, inside the, the uh, engineer industry because at the time who responsible for the project in the MGRC, that is the, in the context, the engineer, it is engineering director who directly supervise every piece of work to be proper and in time. And that particular person happened to be the guru of the industry. He was, at the time, the president of Hong Kong uh, institutional engineer. Whatever he say, nobody can would, would challenge him. And uh, the same as in Leighton, because they're so experienced, they basically said that everything that I, I did or the, the company did, I ensure you safe and, and proper. And then they don't see that there is a proper procedure to follow. And one of the, those things that the um, commission came up with, even from the time when the material come into sight, some of them hasn't passed through the proper testing lab and just directly uh, used on site. And that is unacceptable. Another thing is that when it is being done, there should be checking systems. So there are forms that the inspector inspect and survey and then giving uh, approval of all these forms were missing. So nobody can trace what has been put into the construction site, uh, what has been done, or even the as-built drawings, which is a very strict requirement in the in the contract, all this spill spill drawing it means that what have you done exactly on site? That spill drawings were missing. So all the proper monitoring procedures they hasn't been followed, and it got approval from the MTRC. You can say in in collusion. I don't know why the MTRC would would give that approval because. Maybe this particular person, the president of Hong Kong IE, is so uh, so authority, a big authority. What's his name? So, Sorry, remind us. What's his name? Who are you talking about? Uh, I, I can't remember his name now, okay. but he was the, the president. That is what I can remember. And uh, he was just given a retirement, a, a golden handshake to leave. So... That is the thing that I think we will have to, to address. No matter the, the uh, commission also said that the government 
would have to think about how to monitor it because at the time, the highways department has a uh, railway office in his department. They, they basically cannot uh, get hold of the progress. And every single time, what they say is that it's behind the progress. Can you have remedial measure to chase up with the time? Every single time in the meeting, they always only saying that, that but cannot ensure what the MTRC has actually done. So and in the MTRC, of course, they also have two dual uh, roles in the, in the project. One is that they are the engineer. Another one, they should represent the client as well, uh, because it's a concession project. The, the government basically uh, gives them the responsibility, both the supervision and also the construction as well. So the, those roles are unclear and overlap. And all these things also happen in the, in the consultant, in the consult, design consultant uh, acting. They're also acting, acting uh, as a consultant for Leiden and at the same time as a consultant, the MTRC. The, both teams, although they call A team, B team, but then they eventually it's the same director or responsible. They earn money in both sides with one design and then they make conception of all these things. Some of the uh, designs haven't actually passed through the government or, or including the BD and the highway. So there's a lot of malpractices. It is just unacceptable in in uh, construction field. So, Mr. Hung, this really does sound like, if what you're saying, the worst of uh, governance and the worst of um, procedures in, in getting something done. But, you know, is are there any measures to prevent this from happening, or was this a very unique case? Well, the Commission basically recommended there must be strict rules and structure. Government uh, has to make sure that all the procedures should be followed. And then they split the, the role the gov- in terms of governance. They recommend an independent uh, department on railway development. And also in the MTRC, in the future, there should be, uh, you have to review the concession arrangement uh, so that there would not be dual role in one of the projects, the MTRC. So either they own it, they they make it fully responsible, or if you have a concession contract, the government has to supervise it tightly. So uh, both the BD and the future, maybe the future uh, director of railway development, they have to be actually uh, getting on site to supervise it. So that is what the, the commission recommendation basically okay well just comment from a nig on facebook uh, who says the mtr was given a monopoly to service the hong kong public hence the name mass transit uh, instead what did it do it morphed into a property developer the consequence poorly managed and maintained system in short gross negligence any chance we can go through the board's minutes and charge these mtr key executives lack of fiduciary duty wasting taxpayers money that's from nig on on facebook uh hong Wing Tan, thank you very much indeed for 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 joining us once again. Uh, one 
uh, final uh, email. This is from Alan, uh, who says, uh, why, oh, why do you keep putting Mike on air? If I wanted to hear conspiracy theorists supporting Trump, I would read his Twitter feed or watch Fox News. Trump wants to revive the economy before the election. He thinks he can do that by denying that COVID is killing 3,000 people in the US every day. So now anyone who reports facts is an enemy. Trump is following the PRC playbook and firing doctors who contradict his story. Except at the same time, China is acting to control the spread, while Trump is just doing PR. That comes uh, from Alan. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Karen, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, here's the weather before we go. Many cloudy with a few showers, sunny intervals during the day, temperatures up to 30 degrees. The outlook hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. Uh, there will be heavy showers and squally thunderstorms early next week. 27 degrees now. Relative humidity at 83%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion, and I'm usually quite laid back. But you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips. Don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. 9.33, the news with Samantha Butler. A microbiologist has called on the public not to panic but remain vigilant after the first local infections of coronavirus emerged in more than three weeks. Dr Siddharth Sridhar from the University of Hong Kong says it's still OK to relax social distancing measures, but he called the current situation volatile. U.S. security agencies have warned that China is trying to steal American research on coronavirus vaccines and treatments. The FBI and the U.S. Cyber Security Agency say they're investigating digital break-ins by Chinese-backed hackers. And South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says in the coming days the lockdown imposed due to the coronavirus will be eased slightly. The country has been the worst hit in Africa with more than 12,000 confirmed cases and more than 200 deaths. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. And a big welcome to Thursday. I'm Phil Whelan. Great to be back with you. Through until one. Steve Vine's day today. As psychic correspondent, he'll be with me at 10.10. For more peripheries and stuff, join him on Facebook Live. Post your comments and questions real time or it's morning brew at rthk.hk. Thursday means vet day, Dr. Dave with us. For his weekly house call, we've heard lots about diseases and ticks and this, that, and the other, but today he wants to talk more about carriers, maybe the animals that nobody knows it's going on. We can talk about travel restrictions and all that that entails. After 12, we're going to welcome back Maestro JC Venz for another chance to see and hear him open a ridiculously expensive bottle of wine on air without sharing any of it with us. Off we go with the Ramones. It's Poison Heart. It's 25 to 10 for a Thursday.